your Bibles, I should say. So please, please open your Bibles. Please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 5. That's on page 1084 in your pew Bible, Acts chapter 5. We'll get to that in a second. There's that, there's that line in that song about the lion inside, and that got me to thinking about something relevant to the message today. Um, before we start reading today's scripture, we've talked about fruit of the Spirit for several weeks. We're now talking about acts of the Holy Spirit, and if you haven't figured it out, the theme is pretty consistent. The church without the Holy Spirit is, it's, it's just church. But with the Holy Spirit, it's worship. And we've been talking since Easter Sunday about whether people come here every week to worship or whether they come to church. Church is a place that has membership and benefits and there are services you expect in exchange for your time and your offerings. Worship is an entirely different thing. And since we've been through so much these last few years, I hope you've begun to realize that being part of this family of faith means worshiping God like you just can't help it. And that is what we keep doing here over and over again. That we might put behind us some of the old notions about church as a, as a social gathering, as a as an entity that provides a certain list of services that you can only get at church. We still do those things, but let them be acts of worship in the Spirit. We will look at what the Spirit was doing in the early church in those second chapter of Acts descriptions we visited last week before we continue so that we can get more uh, appropriately aligned with the purpose of this message and this series of messages that I've been bringing. The purpose is to help us see how the Spirit led the early church. And that is really not a description of the Acts of the Apostles, but Acts of the Holy Spirit that we see in this book we call the Acts. It is a book that was almost certainly written by the same author of the Gospel of Luke, and it was, in fact, then sort of Luke part two is what we get. And so what did we see last week as we were reading in the second chapter of Acts? We saw a movement initiated by the Spirit of God that somehow each person who was present and ready to receive Christ and all that he had given was imparted with the very nature of God, the very heart and mind of God, which is the Holy Spirit, so that they were changed internally in their mind, in their heart. They didn't physically change, and yet there were manifestations of the change that occurred in them because now all of a sudden they're understanding each other no matter the differences in their culture and their languages. They were equal in the Spirit's eyes, and so each of the people filled with the Spirit had been given essentially a new sort of spiritual DNA. One of the things we notice is that throughout the history of people of God after Pentecost, the devil who delights in creating really good counterfeits 
has often tried to create counterfeit cultures that look like and seem like what happened at Pentecost, but they're not real. They're counterfeits. And so we have to recognize the counterfeit culture. By the way, when we finish with this series on Acts of the Holy Spirit, we'll move into the church and the body of Christ and in particular deal with the many counterfeits that have come to be thought of as the real thing, but in fact, they're counterfeits. Now, if you know anything about counterfeits, they're supposed to be pretty convincing. Otherwise, they're not very good counterfeits. And so we have to really be discerning. We have to get our spiritual magic marker out like you see them use at the dollar store when they're checking your $20 bill or your $100 bill. We, we got to learn to do that too. But that's a little preview for the future. How do you know whether your church or your religious activity or your spiritual gathering is acting like what happened in the second chapter of Acts? Well, we've had some recent experience with that not far from here. You remember there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Wilmore, Kentucky not long ago. You might remember our friend Kimberly White came up here and told you about what she'd witnessed there. I've listened to several descriptions from people who were there, but not just there. It turns out that that one was the most notable. It got a lot more press, but the truth is, as, as C.S. Lewis might have said in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Aslan is on the move. Hear that? Aslan is on the move. Aslan is, of course, a fictional character that C.S. Lewis used to describe God, Christ more specifically. And so we need to recognize that right now in our country, I got cold chills just thinking about that just now. See, it's not just you, Emily. <laughs> the spirit is at work and Aslan is on the move. The lion is on the move. God is at work, and there are people experiencing outpourings of the Holy Spirit all over Christendom. We just get more news about some than others. And here's how you know it's for real. Now, listen, this is going to surprise. This is going to surprise you. I'm being sarcastic. If you were paying attention for the last several weeks, then it won't surprise you that the way you know that the Spirit has expressed himself to the people and through the people in a gathering, here's how you know, because there's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How do you know the Spirit is at work in our midst? Because all of us are experiencing the fruit of the Spirit. Now, it's not fruits with an S, an apostrophe S, or even a plain old uh, S to describe it as many fruits, but one fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, manifests by all of these things, not necessarily any one. So how do you know? Well, the people who went to Wilmore a few months ago, a couple of months ago, what they will tell you is, is that there was a gentleness about the thing. There was a kindness, there was a peace, there was just an a inherent joy, there was this love, there was goodness, faithfulness, and, and self-control. And you know, you'd be, you'd be amazed how many people in church don't ex 
express self-control. And, and I mean in the religious context. I mean, like, like many times Christians, uh, you know, really profess the faith and yet they don't discipline their religious activity. In fact, they force the religious activity to reflect their control over things. And that's one of the reasons that I felt compelled to tell you that if you don't want to stand, you don't have to. If you want to sit, you can sit. You want to raise your hands, you can raise your hands. You know, what we can do to try to sort of prime the pump of the Holy Spirit expressing himself in our midst is to open ourselves to any possibilities. To just be here with the expressed intent to be present to the Holy Spirit believing and feeling absolutely assured that the Holy Spirit is present. You know, if there's one thing that's been dreadfully wrong with church and Christian religion in the West for a long time, it's been the absence of the Holy Spirit. And that is a diabolical, deliberate effort of God's enemy. Make them think they're doing it right, but there'll be no spirit in it and it'll all be just a game. It'll all just be pretend. It'll all be pretense. Make them think they're worshiping like they just can't help it, but then let them become self-indulgent and say, well, I don't like this kind of music as much as I like that kind of music. Let them think they're doing it right by convincing themselves that certain elements of worship are more authentic than others because that's how I feel. I could go on and on, but I think you're beginning to understand what this is really about. Now I want to show you what I mean by way of an example that we find in Scripture. We're moving right along in our readings from the Acts of the Apostles, and now we're going to read from Acts chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. And get ready, this is a little scary. This is a little scary. Acts chapter... Oh, you know what? I've misled you. I mean Acts chapter 3. I can see now that I've mistyped on my notes. Let's go to Acts chapter 3. Uh, oh, for goodness sakes, Dan. No, go back to Acts chapter 4. No, go to Acts chapter... Let me look here. Yeah, okay, let's try Acts chapter 4. Starting in verse 5, I thoroughly messed up my notes. I, I wish you could see my notes because there's a little bit of everything here in front of me. But I know what I want to tell you about. So at least it's still okay up here. Try me in a couple more years and then, you know, this will be, be really entertaining. <laughs> Acts chapter 4, page 1083, starting at verse 5. All right, that's really what I want us to read together. On the next day. Their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together. What the heck? What have I done? Ay, ay, ay. Hey, here's a new concept. What? Hey, you know what this tells me? Seriously, seriously, I am not joking. I know you're going to laugh, but I'm not joking. Here's your sign. Here's your sign. We're on to something. 
We're talking about the Holy Spirit. We're inviting the Holy Spirit to take the lead and the enemy is not happy. That, beloved, is definitely what's going on here. I'm going to try opening my Bible to exactly where I want to go. (laughs) And I have no idea why my electronic device here is confused, but that doesn't mean that I should be. I want to read to you about Ananias and Sapphira. That's what I want to read to you about. Yeah, chapter 5. I was right the first time. Lord have mercy. Here we go. Who says church isn't entertaining? I was talking to a little kid a while ago and told him the boring stuff was going to happen later. I was wrong. It's not boring. Here we go. But a man named Ananias with his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did not did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to the, to the man, but to God. And when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. And immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And when the young men came in and they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard it. Okay, well, I apologize for all the silliness about getting to that, but you got the story that I wanted you to hear. Now I wanna jump ahead and share with you about Stephen. Now, Stephen gave a wonderful speech that he was chosen to serve as a, as a deacon in the church and he was uh, filled with the Holy Spirit and he gave a great speech, a sermon you might say in chapter seven. And then when we get to the part in chapter seven at page, uh, excuse me, at verse 54, Here's what it says. That's on page 1088, 1088. Verse 54, the stoning of Stephen. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. Who does that, by the way? I, they say that a lot in scripture. And I, I'm like, if I did that, I'd have to go to the dentist. 
I know, I mean, I just wonder about that. Grounded. What does that mean? Is they go, is that what they're saying? But he full of the Holy Spirit gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and they plugged their, again, adults acting like children. Can't hear you. Can you believe that? And then they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And despite the long way getting there, this is the word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I'm, I'm, you know, feeling flustered and silly. I may have been a little over humorous, but the truth is, is that I read in scripture so many times, adults behaving badly, don't you? When you read scripture, you find out that an awful lot of the bad things that happen in the name of religion, in the name of God, are executed by adults who are acting like children. And, and this is what we do, right down to throwing rocks at each other. Now, stoning was a little more severe than that, but isn't that ironic? But here's, here's the takeaway. How is church today different from the way it was in the days of the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Well, some of it sounds pretty familiar. People throwing temper tantrums, plugging their ears and pretending like they can't hear each other, people disagreeing over ridiculous things, people driving out someone who's telling you the truth in love and it doesn't make you feel good about yourself at all. People deceiving even the spirit of God. People saying, you know, I want to help with this. I want to be a part of this. I feel the groundswell of activity, but I'm not really sure that I want to put everything I have at risk for this cause. So I'm going to give this much, but I don't want them to think less of me. In fact, what we skipped over to get to the story after all of my drama is how Barnabas had given it all and received such praise and was considered so highly by everyone in the church and clearly by the Holy Spirit. And so here come Ananias and Sapphira and they're trying to get the same degree of of acclaim as Barnabas got, but they've decided to do it in a deceptive way. They're going to tell everybody they cleaned out their bank account in order to contribute to the church when, in fact, they did what I used to do. When I was a bachelor living alone, here's how I kept from bouncing checks. You young men and women might want to do this. I want to make sure I never bounced a check, so I always wrote in my check register that I had about $500 less than I actually had. So I would have $500 in my account that was actually hidden under the zero in my, in my ledger so that I could make sure that I didn't overspend. That way, if I happened to write a check and bounce, I didn't really bounce, I just owed myself some money. 
Now, that was just a simple way to be safe and secure, but this was a similar case with an entirely different outcome. These were people who were claiming they cleaned out their bank account for the early church, and they wanted everybody to believe that about them. And I, I think that this remark that Jesus made, or excuse me, Peter made about lying to Jesus or lying to the Spirit was sort of a way of saying, you know, you've even convinced yourself that this is true. It's funny how we do that, isn't it? Sometimes we convince ourselves that something is the way we keep saying it is, and then we believe our own lie. Now, did they commit the unpardonable sin? I asked myself this question. What happened here? Is this the unpardonable sin because they lied to the Holy Spirit? It's probably a really good topic for a different sermon, but I'm going to say probably no. They didn't commit the unpardonable sin. Jesus describes that as denying the Holy Spirit, and I think in order to deny the Holy Spirit, you'd have to know him in the first place. So I'm inclined to think the unpardonable sin is to somehow reject your salvation, to reject your new birth in the Holy Spirit. But what this seems to be is more a case of Satan trying to get into the early church through deception and counterfeiting, which is his modus of operation in all things. And he got caught. And perhaps for the sake of the church universal, God executes severe punishment in order to get the point across, not only to the people of the church, but to the enemies of God. You pull this nonsense, we will deal harshly with you. You know, and God can do whatever God wants as far as our human flesh is concerned. We are eternal in our being until God says we're not. So whatever happened to Ananias and Sapphira, it's not for us to judge God's decision, but to accept that from God's point of view, which is eternal, this is how we roll. This is what we do in order to establish clear boundaries around what is church universal and not. And so I believe that's what Luke is at when he says in this story that you have on one end of the spectrum Ananias and Sapphira, and then on the other end of the spectrum you have the story of Stephen who has done it exactly right. He is entirely given over to the Spirit. In fact, when he says he gave it all, he gave it all. His very life. And so Luke has given us bookends so you can see the boundaries of living in the spirit in the body of Christ that is the new church, the the brand new thing that was birthed at Pentecost. And what you realize is, is both could cost you everything. And so it's fair to ask the question, so pastor, are you saying that if we really give ourselves over to the Holy Spirit and we really become the body of Christ filled with his spirit, we might die? The answer is maybe. The answer is God might ask you today for everything. But then he asks you for everything every day. Why would this be any different? The difference is your mindset. 
Do you come into your relationship with God like Ananias and Sapphira where you plan on giving God everything but then you don't really mean everything? I remember when I was called into ministry 28 years ago. I was talking with my ministry mentor person who was helping me make this decision. And what I said specifically was, I will answer this call with all my heart, but I don't want to move my family into some inner city slum somewhere because I'll be afraid for my kids. I literally said that. And at the time, I had five kids at home, and Ruthie was about as big as my arm and born with spina bifida. I just didn't think I could be safe accepting a calling that might include serving in some neighborhood where I didn't feel like my children would be okay. So I put terms on my answer to the call. So don't say that we don't do that too. Thankfully, God didn't deal with me the way he dealt with Ananias. Probably because he heard me being a dad, a young dad at that, and he was kind to me. As it turns out, we've survived far worse and been stronger for it. So my point really today is for you to see that this story is scary and it kind of makes you fear what God is asking of you, but what really what God is asking you for is complete commitment, complete and utter commitment. And then whatever comes, comes. And remember that because of your commitment to Christ and because of Christ's work in you through the Holy Spirit, you are an eternal creature. So you may not survive this life exactly the way you imagined, but you've been purchased for eternity. And the difference between us and the saints of the first church in the second chapter of Acts is perspective. They no longer saw themselves the same way because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And being filled with the Holy Spirit made them view themselves in an entirely different paradigm, an eternal paradigm, so that the threat of death, the threat of not having enough, the threat of living in a difficult place, those things didn't matter to them because they were extremely temporary when you measure them up against eternity. You remember that analogy we used a few weeks ago where we decided that, that if your lifespan was one grain of sand and eternity was all the sand on the earth or even the universe? It kind of puts it in perspective, don't you think? And this is what we're really being asked to do here. Be faithful like Stephen. And follow his example. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Now burn it upon our hearts that we might be transformed and filled with your Holy Spirit for your namesake. Amen. Amen.